What's up, guys? On today's episode, we had Will Highland on from Home Field Advantage. Uh, we talk Celtics, of course. We debate whether or not Julian Edelman's a Hall of Famer. We talk a little Red Sox, and we finish it up with some Bruins talk. Hope you guys enjoy the show. Okay, so the first game of the week was Denver. All right. Thoughts on Denver? Uh, first, of all, first of all, I feel really bad for Denver to what happened to Jamal Murray. Oh, yeah, that sucks. And we didn't see him, we so we were him. wrong. We, I thought they were completely healthy, but he was a game away from coming back when we played them. Yeah. He played, I think that was the game he came back. It was when he got injured and made the second. Yeah, he, back, he missed but... the, the previous four, right? Came back, 50 seconds left, blew out his knee. That's so. Yeah, that's, that's awful, dude. And it sucks because, like, Denver is going to be one of those teams competing for a Western Conference Finals. Yeah. Denver and was. I, I do love Denver. I like I like Jamal. I like Jokic. I like Aaron Gordon. And Aaron Gordon, I'm indifferent on now. That I don't know if you've heard his Mr. 50 nickname, but. No. No, he basically he calls himself Mr. 50 now to remind himself about how he has the most 50-point uh, scores in dunk history, but still has yet to win one. So I think that's kind of lame. That is lame but as well. I, I, like the, I like the rest of the team. I mean, Mike Porter Jr. seems cool. Yeah. But. Um, I thought that the bigs did an awesome job against Jokic. That's how they won the game. Yeah, like, Jokic getting... did not shoot well. I think he shot under 40%. Yeah, I mean, he had a triple-double, but yeah, Still, <laughs> it was but a mean, bad game for him. And interior post-presence was a big issue in the previous week. I mean, we saw Embiid, and Jokic is the other MVP favorite between, the, like, those are the two guys. And uh see Sean Bowen. Did Tristan Thompson play in that game? I don't think so, right? Um, yeah, he did, but did 19 he? minutes. Okay. Um, Tristan Thompson was super impressive. That oh wow, I just ripped my headphones out. Um, Thompson has Tristan, been really impressive. He was really impressive. Grant Williams deserves, I think, a shout out. Um, just tracking his game, I've noticed he's been playing a lot better recently, and I've I looked up the stats to back it up. I'll have those uh, have those numbers right here for you. Ahead, but he you. played really well against Jokic. I mean, he's obviously a lot of height. Jokic is seven two. Grant Williams yeah. is six six, but. So, pre-All-Star, these are some numbers for Grant. He had a 106 offensive rating. It's not great. 112 defensive rating. Not really great. Worse than team average, not terrible. Uh, he had a negative 6.6 net rating. So, that's not good. There were 6.6 worse per 100 possessions with him on the court. Right. Um, his foul percentage was 6.2%, which was the second percentile in the NBA. So, like, that's almost bad. the worst. So, yeah, really bad. bad. Really, bad. really had, and then post all star break, he had a one sixteen offensive rating, so ten points better offensive rating from from pre all star to post all star. And but been uh, about just, a month. just to interject, sorry, it feels like he's taking very very few shots, and the few shots he takes are insanely timely and very very productive. His numbers have gone down, but he's also not sh- like he's just not really being a factor on offense. But he's playing well defensively, he's setting screens, he's looking like. He's playing within himself. He's not doing too much, which I like to see. So, 116 offensive rating. 
that's really good news. He does at least provide the threat of spacing. He's, I believe, shooting 38% from the field this year. I think he's shooting only like 33% since post-All-Star break. He was shooting like 42 before the All-Star break. But 106 defensive rating, so that's really good. So that's an improvement of six uh, points per 100 possessions. And that gives him a whopping net rating of almost 10 at 9.8 net rating. So they're almost 10 points better per 100 possessions post-All-Star break with Grant on the court. And the foul rate has gone from 6.2% to 5.1%. Still not great, but he went from the second percentile there. He went from second percentile to 16th percentile. So still not great, but a big improvement, which is big improvement. Yeah. Nice to see. And that's the one thing, big thing with Grant, where it's like he can defend, he just fouls so much. Yeah. He's limited that and the numbers have proven it. So that's promising. I'm I was really happy that game. I just want to give a shout out to Grant, just throw some good stats out there for him. Yeah, because we haven't been incredibly positive on Grant no. every week. But um he's been he's been awesome to watch. Good great guy. I think Jabari's gonna probably take his minutes. I think um, some. I th- I think he might just honestly be like if we're missing a forward, say like Tatum wants to the game, maybe Robert Williams. He's been injured. Maybe you play some small ball five with Grant, have uh Jabari play the four. I'm hoping Grant doesn't lose a ton of minutes because he has been really good defensively recently. Yeah. So I hope that does continue, but and I bet, we'll, we'll I, bet I bet Brad, Brad Brad's gonna find a spot for him. He's gonna play ten or fifteen minutes like well. When whenever both of those guys, Jabari and Grant, they're both when Grant's out there, they're gonna play good defense. And when they need a little spark, Jabari hopefully can turn it up. I watched some highlights from him last night and he's got a pure jumper. Yeah, it's weird. He doesn't it doesn't translate to the outside, but he is scoring from right. He is a very good scorer from within the post. Yeah. And what I'm hoping is it takes some of the pressure off Tatum and Jalen. Maybe they can get their minutes down, head towards the playoffs, give themselves some rest, give them some breaks by having another guy that is a capable scorer on that team. Yeah. Um, so I do like that addition. I was interested. I'll see how it works, but I guess him and Tatum are friends. So, I mean, if you're making your one of your best players happy by getting one of his friends on the team, then, then I'll take I'll take that. And Absolutely. he's a guy that's a 15-point-per-game score for his career. Yeah, if I can't if I can't take Brad Beal, I'll take Jabari Parker. Yeah, nothing to scoff at. No, not at all. Really um, ravaged by injury. Tough position in Milwaukee, you know. Like, he doesn't really – it's one of those things where he doesn't def- – he would make a good stretch five, but he doesn't defend well enough or really rebound well enough to be a five. Yeah, the problem was he four, was – I think the problem was he was painted as a power forward when he really should have came into the league as a wing player. Yeah, but he doesn't really move his feet well now because he's, he's had some injuries too that's really limited his athleticism. And that's what's made it tough is he's lost kind of sparks. So he's in a weird situation. I think a bench role for him would be perfect. We're not having to go against elite guys at all times. Hopefully they stagger it so he gets some more favorable matchups. Yeah. And then, yeah, of course. So uh, moving on from the Denver game, that was a pretty well-balanced performance. Move on from the Denver game. Um, next up, we had the with the triple, yeah, Trailblazers. Blazers. Okay, I had them lined up wrong. So this was so I gave credit to Grant Williams as part of that game and Tristan Thompson. This game, I think a lot of the credit should go to. And we talked. You're going to probably hear this afterwards. Um, we had Will Highland. We we talked about it with Will. Yeah, about first guest on the show. Yeah, so we're probably going to put this part first. But we had Will. Um, I talked about it. Marcus Smart and Romeo, they did an incredible job limiting uh, Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum. They like, really obviously, did. you're not you're not going to stop them, but I'm pretty sure Damian Lillard shot like 39% from the field this game. 
and he only wound up finishing with 20. He finished 28 points, 10 assists, but it wasn't on very efficient shooting, which you like to say. Yeah. And Romy did make a big difference. I think that was a big key. We got scoring from our usual suspects. I think Tatum had what, 28, 28, yeah, 32 for Tatum and 24 for Brown. And you got a couple more, you got 21 from Kemba. So, how did Marcus do in that game? I can't remember. I think he shot. Um, he had 13 points, seven assists. So, you like to see that. Yeah. I don't have his shooting numbers from that. Oh, I could pull it up, but I actually can't pull up his individual stats right from here. But um, I know he played well defensively. He was flying around. I think there was that one incredible hustle play he had where he, yeah, he, he tried to die for court. a loose ball, was completely out of place, sprinted back, and wound up stealing stealing an entry pass into one of the in, into entry pass. I think Canner and Eric, uh, yeah, Eric, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that was huge. You love Marcus Hart's hustle. I think he's finally playing the role that he intends for himself. And I think that the Celtics play best with where he's facilitating and he's being a lockdown defender. He looks like that all NBA defender. And like in the beginning of this year, he didn't look like that guy because he was asked to do a lot on the offensive end. Right. I think his responsibility has gone down. I think that makes him a lot more dangerous defender. It makes our team a lot better when he's playing his role to perfection. Absolutely. The Portland game was fun to watch. Yeah, that was a back and forth game at the end, and it was a good one to win. It's always, was, it's always a tight game against Dame Dollar in the fourth yeah. too. Like they were up, they were up by they were, they were up by like five by with a minute left too, and like just uh, it, it, like five points with a minute left was nothing for Dame. So yeah, they're the best. I think they're the best fourth quarter team in the NBA, or at least the yeah. best clutch time team in the NBA. And the Celtics at the beginning of the year, I think, were, like, in the mid-20s. And now they're flipped it, I think, since the all-sub break. They're, like, in the top 10 for fourth quarter. So they really flipped that, which has been huge. And, it's really frustrating yeah. to blow leads. And it's really so, nice that we're getting some of these close wins. Definitely. Uh, Portland is was the best first-quarter team, too. So best first and top five fourth. Two of the Celtics' biggest issues moving forward, like, in the past. And to see, I mean – I think they had uh, like 32 points at the in the first quarter, which was to be expect like to be expected out of Portland. But the fact that the team didn't crumble, the team wasn't behind by that much, uh, and then was able to beat a good fourth quarter team is awesome. Especially in the midst of a West Coast run where both you and I thought we would lose one of these games, and uh, to be able to come out of there against uh, three playoff teams in the West. And win all three was awesome. And Melo was huge that game, too. I oh, love dude, seeing Melo ball. Carmelo, I think he's my favorite NBA player. Dude, he's so cool. And it's just like, oh, it was cool to see him. I'm glad it came in a win. I would have been a lot more upset if it came in a loss. But yeah. seeing him ball out in a win, that was that was fun to see. Definitely. Awesome. So, and last but not least, we have the LA game. So, this was a weird game. Super weird. Um, it seemed like when the starters win, we'd get this huge lead. And yeah. then we'd pull the starters out and the lead would shrink. It just yeah. kept going like back and forth like that until we got a really big one in the fourth. Then we didn't even put our subs in. We put our third stringers in and we almost blew a, what, 27 point, 20 something point lead? Yeah, it was a 26 to four run. Yeah. And so that, that would have been bad. We had to put our starters back in. Yeah. But at least Jalen got up to 40. I mean, and then scored, uh, he shot 15 of 17, first player. To score that many points on 88% shooting. I think he really only missed one shot. Yeah, because one of the shots that he took was a half-quarter heave. Yeah. Half-quarter heave at the end of the quarter. I know, like, one of them was. I can't I can't think it was he. I don't know if he was – I thought he was 15 for 18, and that was the 
18. No, no, he was. 15, it was 17. 15 for 17. Okay. 15 for 16. Yeah, that's crazy. He was super efficient. You love to see, and that's the thing with Jalen is like he's so good attacking the basket. He clearly did not have any respect for former Defense Player of the Year Marcus Saul because he went right at him time and time again, and he was also able to stroke him for a little bit, which helped. But that was an awesome performance out of Jalen. Um, right. Super third. Our third string unit, the craziest thing about that was just looking at the guys that were playing, it was Tremont, Carson, Taco, Semi, and Neesmith. And aside from Taco, like, those guys were all, I mean, probably not Tremont either, but those guys were playing some, like, serious minutes earlier in the year, especially in the times we were struggling. Right. Like, that's what we're talking about. Like, some of those games, all th- three of those five guys were in the game. Right. In meaningful minutes. And in that's part of the reason why why we were uh we had that struggle right in the middle because we were without marcus for a while we were without kemba for a little while we're with kemba on back-to-backs and those guys had to step up and you can just tell they're not they're, they're not, not really NBA NBA they're not nba rotation players. yeah quality guys yet i think you know, semi um, it's looking tough because he's already like 25 the rest of those guys are still pretty young but yeah i think the tremont waters experience is over yeah um that's tough. i i am Still hopeful that Naismith can turn into something, but my hope is dwindling. Um, I'd, I'll give him. I'll give him next year. Next year, the All Star break is when I'll kind of be like, okay, let's. I need to see at least some improvement on the offensive end. If he shows me improvement, then I'll be sold. Yeah. And then after the full two, then we'll be able to be like, okay, what do we have here? So hopefully, nice. I I still wish that we took Cole Anthony. But yeah, then we probably pretty. wouldn't have got Pritchard. I mean, Pritchard's yeah, hit a wall, too, recently. Yeah, but then we could have taken Nidoka as a bouquet from Kansas. Has he, I, like, played at all this year? Uh, no. He's, like, the <laughs> he's the third center in Utah. But I like yeah. him. He's a beast. But I like him. He's a monster. cool name. Yeah. Um, no, originally, like, I wanted uh, Devin – I wanted Devin Vassal. I think he went one pick before Naismith. I did like the Naismith pick. I was like, well, this guy can shoot. I want a guy that can shoot. I didn't realize how good of a shooter. I mean, Bay really hasn't done much outside of the games. I feel like he's played against us. Right. But there wasn't really a whole lot of guys I would have rather taken there. I thought that, that was the best choice at the time. Obviously, it wasn't the biggest sample size because he only played like I think 20 games his yeah, sophomore year. 20 games, yeah. But, I mean, and I like the Pritchard pick. Clearly, he's he's kind of hit that rookie wall, which is the time you usually do it. Yeah. But it's good now that we have the insurance policy of Fournier coming back. We have a lot of rotational guys. We have other guys that score. And we shouldn't be relying on a, a rookie to be our first guard off the bench, providing all of our bench scoring. Like That's just asking so much of him. So I'm glad that he's yeah, able he's to. He's not the mellow ball. No. But it's fine. Like, Pritchard, I think, is still going to be a fine player. I still think he has those skills to be a really good six-man. Yeah. In the next couple of years, a cheap six-man. Mm-hmm. So. He's awesome, man. I love Pritchard. Yep. I still I still have a lot of faith in Pritchard, but yeah. Uh we get like um, you you just said that, but but we get uh Evan Fournier back tonight. Huge No we, No, we don't? No, I'll I'll pull up the injury report right oh, now. God damn. I'm pretty sure he's out, Robert Williams out, and Jalen's questionable. That's not good. No. And we don't get I don't know when we get Jabari back. I'm guessing it'll probably be a couple games, but yeah, he'll have to go through quarantine or whatever. I don't know how it works. Yeah, I don't really know because some guys it seems like they play immediately. Got to get my noties. Where yeah, no, there's no there's no rules anymore. Uh, I forgot my password. Please autofill. Um, yeah, so that's 
that's tough. It'd be really tough if we lost Jalen because I mean the Warriors are no slouch. No, they're not. They're not and the Warriors of the past. But, the last couple of weeks, and we have struggled with guard defense. I do think that having um, having our pals is definitely going to help. But yeah, Romeo having Romeo and Smart to on him will help, but it's very hard. Yeah, so M Fournier out, Robert Williams out. Jalen Brown illness non-COVID is questionable as of two hours ago. So we'll get an update on him probably pretty soon. But you guys obviously will know by the time listening to this whether or not he played. So yeah. let's hope he played. I mean, if not, let's hope the Tatum goes off for a huge game. I mean, I don't know who's really defending him on that team. Unless, I mean, you could put Draymond on him, I guess. But it most certainly will not be Kelly Uber. No, I mean, you could. It won't end well. Yeah, you, you could. could definitely try it. It's an option. Yeah. It's like you could just let Steph Curry shoot wide open. It's not going to work, but you could do it. Uh-huh. Um, no, so, I mean, I have faith in the team. Like, Kemba will be there. We have everyone else. I mean, hopefully. Tristan Thompson's played well. I don't know yeah. who. I mean, their center depth isn't great, so I think we could even afford to go small if we need Grant to play some center. Yeah, we could I use mean, Cornette Wise- still. Wiseman's not playing, right? Cornette no, Wiseman's done for the year. Yeah. I so, I mean, know. you could you could have some versatility. Like, they're not going to kill us with their backup center. No. I mean, they're going to kill us with a starting center, so you can really be pretty flexible who we're playing at the center position. So it's probably not too huge that Robert Williams is out tonight. But uh, definitely going to need a big game out of uh, yeah, UT. yeah. And he's played great. I think yeah, part of it's just like he feels. Awesome. I think part of it's just like the pressure of knowing that you're not losing your 20 minutes a game. Like no matter what, Tristan Thompson is going to be playing at least 20 minutes a game every game. Yeah. And which is nice. Like, I think he likes that too. Like he's been playing better. Like he feels like everyone's starting to find their role and play their role to perfection. And I'm very excited for Fournier to join this team permanently. I'm excited for Jabari to see what he has. Me too. Very excited to see those two guys like actually play some legit minutes. Yep. Anything else? Sorry. I have one more. Sorry. I have one more fun set to pull up. It's about our dear friend, Kemba Walker. We were shitting on him a little bit for saying that he was too much of a, He's looking to score too much. He's not passing enough. He's looking like he's trying to be the number one option when he's really the number three. But yeah. there is some very positive stats. I don't have his assist percentages up the last couple of games, but there's a stat I was able I listened to, I think, on the uh, Anything is Potable podcast by, I believe it's uh, Jay King. He said it. He said that uh, Kemba has six, uh, eight straight games of six or more assists. Ooh. So that's good to see. He's looking to facilitate more. Yeah. Same with Marcus. I think that's really helping the team strive. I think it's helping get J- Tatum and Jalen more open shots. And I think it's a huge positive. And we were talking about that as the one thing, the one reason why we weren't really too, too fond of Kemba. But hopefully this is a change for the future. He continues doing this. And I think it's best case scenario for the Seas. Absolutely. It's going to be a fun game tonight. We will yep. recap it next Sunday. And see you all then. Thank you again for listening to another episode of Mainly Celtics Podcast. What is going on, everybody? We got a brand new episode for you guys today. Um, first guest on the show, big day today. We've got our good friend and uh, former Belfast Area High School alumni, Will Highland, uh, the host of Home Field Advantage Podcast, a former writer for Chowder and Champions uh, covering the Bruins and the Sox. And uh, he's currently at Bates right now. Uh, the merchandise manager working in the bookstore and on campus. What's up, Will? How are you doing? I'm doing really well. I'm happy to be on, happy to talk to you guys. First and foremost, it's been what feels like years and probably literally years. Yeah. Um, so happy to be on and then also happy to uh, do a crossover between our two shows. 
Yeah, that's awesome. The other show, yeah, uh, make sure to check out Home Field Advantage. We're going to be using audio from both this uh, from this conversation on both podcasts. So if you hear a little overlap, then that's 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 going to be all right. But we'll get it. Uh, we're going to get into it. Um, actually, Will, I wanted to say first off, uh, congrats on the marriage. I hadn't seen you <laughs> since then. So yeah, marriage life treating you. It's it's well, it's well, yeah. A lot of change happened in 2020 and 2021. Yeah. That's certainly being first and foremost. Um, also had, you know, moved a couple times in the past year. Like you mentioned already, got a new job at Bates College. So, yeah, it's, it's all been good. It's just life kind of comes at you fast when you're our age. Uh, you know, once you get out of college and suddenly it's like the real world hits you in the face and then, you know, mostly for good, but also, you know, yeah. for bad. But uh, yeah, thank you for that. It's been, it's been a good time and I can't believe it's already been eight or nine months. Yeah, it's wild. Um, I won't get into the Bates thing, seeing this back here. I won't get into it, but um, we did want to talk. One of the big things that you brought up to us earlier in the week was uh, the sort of tenuous relationship Celtics fans have with uh, head coach Brad Stevens. Um, Matt, do you have any, like, what, give me some opening thoughts on, uh, sort of the, the atmosphere surrounding Brad right now. I think when, uh, when Will originally asked that, I think we are in a lot more kind of a negative place with Brad as we are now after we have a, we've kind of, we swept the West coast series. Now we're on a five game win streak looking to extend it to six tonight. So I think at the time the question was, was fair. I think right now, I think Brad's looking pretty good, and hopefully they continue this hot streak. I think there won't be any questions about it going forward, as long yeah. as we keep up this play. Winning winning helps, for sure. Um, <laughs> but a big uh, – have you have you seen uh, – how much of the Celtics have you been watching, Will? Not, not a ton. I mainly listen to the morning uh, talk radio on the way into work, where that's usually how I get my updates on basketball. And one of the biggest – one of the biggest debates that I hear and that I sort of have formulated opinion on is uh, is not necessarily if he's the right coach X's and O's wise, because I think he is, but is he the right coach in terms of uh, getting the most out of the play, the young players? And is he the best at managing the personalities and managing the workload? So that's the debate that I hear. And I also hear a debate about, whether or not uh, some of their young players are really capable of being alpha leaders or yeah. if they're more passive players. And there's places on teams in, in all sports for both kinds of, for both kinds of leaders, people that lead by example and people that lead from behind and are more uh, quiet leaders. And then lastly, leaders that are really outspoken and, and driven. And so I don't know what the makeup of the Celtics is in that on a day-to-day basis. I don't follow the team as closely as you guys do, but that is a debate that I hear a lot uh, and that I would love to have some of that content share with my listeners too, because I can't talk about it as thoroughly as you can. I think uh, the one thing that I, the one thing that I take away from this is, uh, I mean, Brad, there's no one that the Celtics could replace and be better than Brad Stevens for this team. Like, there's no one out in the market right now. I mean, I don't think that the Celtics would be able to pull uh, Mike D'Antoni from Brooklyn. I don't think that is possible. I think he would probably be the one guy 
that would be able to come in and be a uh, like a culture change type of guy that also has the pedigree to win championships. Um, but, and I also think that a lot of this Celtics team is very close to the vest. Like the internal ongoings were so like spec, they're all so speculative right now. Um, and I think that the cards are close to the chest this year because of the poor start. I don't think that, I think that if they had come out and they're like second in the East right now, the team would be very vocal about the locker room, about things that are going on. Um, I just think that, I think Marcus Smart is that quiet leader that you talked about. He, I mean, on the floor, he's a dog. Like he's, uh, he's very vocal on the floor, but I also think he uh, leads by example. I think he comes in and he gets his, uh, gets his stuff done, you know, like he, he work he puts in all the work behind his behind the scenes and I think Kemba's that way too um but there has yet to become a real alpha and I think uh the trend or like the uh the growth and development of both Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum together into NBA all-star caliber players um has it at least it, um, it's created a media narrative that there are two like rising alphas and it's going to have to uh it might boil over at some point what do you think which is which is very dumb yeah I mean you see it with the Philadelphia 76ers like last couple years everyone was on uh I don't know who their GM was before Maury but everyone was on I think it was Elton Brand was on them to trade one of them because it's never going to work like two young guys like they're both supposed to be the stars you both you need to pick which one you're going to build around and Tatum and Jalen's game complements each other way better than Simmons and Embiid does Right. Like they're both able guys that can space the floor for one another. They're both guys that can defend. They're very versatile defensively. They've added the playmaking this year, which is huge. I mean, Tatum's shown in the past, but this year Jalen's first year is really like looking to facilitate. He's done a lot better job at that. Tatum too. He's averaging almost five assists a game. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Tatum showed more. I feel like he showed more sparks being able to do that than Jalen had in the past. This year I've both been impressed with the way they've facilitated. So I think they complement each other well. And I didn't I just don't understand like the whole you need one alpha on the team. I mean, you see it with you saw it with the big three. You see with all these super teams, like they have multiple guys that are superstar players. And it's like I'd rather keep our two guys that are turning towards superstardom and maybe add another one that fits along um with them down the line yeah. when Kemba's contract expires. But I, I just don't see a need to to trade either one of these guys. Yeah, I, think, I agree. They look yeah. like they're guys that are friends off the floor too. Like if yeah. they, like if they weren't on the same team, if they weren't both playing for Boston, they would be friends because they they complement each other well with their game, and they just seem like both young players. You know, a lot. You know, a lot like most guys in the NBA, they're they're friendly with each other, even if yeah. they might not show all the time. Um, and they're, I, I think, I, there's been pictures of them like together. I think they either they crossed paths before even in AU and they played on the Olympic team like a couple of years ago together. Years so it's ago. like they're, they're with each other a lot. So obviously they must not, they must enjoy playing with each other. And obviously they're not best of friends. Like I know Tatum's really good friends with Beal and I know Jalen Brown has some buddies too, but I mean, they still seem like good friends and they haven't shown me anything that makes me think that, that you need to separate them. You pick one. So. Yeah. I think a constant in the Boston media circus is uh, player chemistry. I think that uh, the chemistry of teams gets brought into 
gets brought into the spotlight based solely on speculation, based solely on snap reactions to a two game losing streak or a, a technical on the court or something like that. And I think that uh, obviously not us, the uh, journalists that we are, we would never go into that, but the uh, sort of like some top dogs on Twitter and on in that blog for the Celtics. Uh, I think it, I mean, we all, we're all speculating here, but I think that it moves to a precipice. It gets to an extreme too fast sometimes. Um, and it's certainly happening with Brad right now throughout the year. Um, the defensive ratings have been super low, much different from the past three years with the team. Uh, the last three years, his defense has been top five in the league. Uh, and now it's what, Matt, 21st? I'm going to check that right now. I'm just going to look. So I was also going to look at the split stats. Yeah, we'll get, because... the, we'll get the intern on that real quick. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I'll be looking that up. But you can continue. And I mean, like, the, the, there's been, a, like, play style wise, there's been a, the big, um, the big issues uh, with the on court play has been uh, after timeout plays. Brad was known for that coming out of uh, Butler a big, a big, like cerebral guy, a guy that can do the X's and O's really well, still can. And this year, the uh, after timeout plays have been pretty subpar and not, and not um, uh, like similar to what has happened in the previous seasons. Uh, so that's been a big point. Um, people thinking that his, his mind's slowing down. He's losing the X's and O's side of things. Um and again, like the defensive rating, the I think I saw uh, a couple weeks ago they were 27th in the league in like uh, in three point percentage on defense, which is just really bad in a league that's becoming more and more three point oriented. You know, I think a lot of that might have. I mean, Kemba's shot poorly from three this year. I think that does have a lot to do with it. Where he's a guy. I'm talking on. I'm talking. Oh, defense. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they were allowing. Sorry, I was kind yeah, of allowing. I'm saying they're allowing a lot of threes. On my show, we call that Matt when the hosts aren't listening. Right. <laughs> yeah, I was. I was. You know, doing my job. Well, uh, that's hard because sometimes you know when I, when I watch basketball, like I think I, you know, especially when I watch the NBA, it's like it's easy to look. It's easy to look at, you know, from you know from your couch and from your rocking chair be like oh how'd they let that guy get the wide open or why didn't brad drop a better play at the end of the game why does marcus have the ball at the end of the game instead of jason so like it's easy to have the to make those questions after the game and and like i said at the outset i don't think i've ever really doubted steven's ability to put together a game plan or, or maximize um maximize talent I mean, what was it, two or three years ago? I think it was three years ago we brought a team to the East Finals that had no business going to the East Finals. So I've always thought that he had that ability. I guess there's always – but like you said, Emery, there's always those questions about uh, the, the speculation in the media about the internal the internal uh, workings of the team and, and, what, uh, and what, what those are and what their, their impact will be. And, you know, and, and on defense – Again, I'm not a huge basketball guy, but I've noticed just it used to be that Celtics fans were complaining about lack of offense, but now it seems like 
well, back during the Hayward years, we were always saying that like Hayward wasn't really the offensive threat that they wanted him to be. And now it's like, now it seems that the complaint about the Celt- from Celtics fans about the team is always about the defensive play. Is that a correct assessment? Yes. It is. Um, so I, have, I found the stats. Celtics are actually 12th right now in defensive rating, which part of that is a jump this month in April so far. So I'll just read off the defensive ratings by month. Yeah. Uh, December, they're 112.6. January, they're 107.4, which is very good. Yeah. Uh, February, 113.4. Last month in March was 115.2. That's really, really saw that the defense kind of hit, hit a valley. And then this month, they're at 107.4 again, which is a pretty solid team. I mean, right now, they're, they're at 12, I think 111.2. So if they continue this pace for the rest of the year, they'll probably be a top 10 defensive team, which mm-hmm. is more custom what we're seeing. I do think a big part of that is Romeo Langford. I know I've been saying that a lot, but um, I mean, you saw it with the, uh, with the Portland Trailblazers game. That was like one of the, the games where I really noticed it, where you had Marcus Smart on Damian Lillard, who did a fantastic job. He guards CJ McCollum did a fantastic job. And those minutes Marcus was out, a lot of times you had Romeo, Romeo defending those guys, which made a huge difference. Like I'm just one shot in the first half really stuck out to me where he was covering Lillard, uh, Canner tried to get he was able to get around a screen from Canner and he was able to contest a shot on Lillard and he was able and Lillard like just absolutely bricked it like I don't even know if he hit rim on it so that's been a huge addition that's been a huge help I do think this is the first time that they've really had a solid rotation for an extended period of time I think it's only better when Fournier returns and now they have the addition of Jabari Parker who I don't think really helps defensively no. but I think can provide some offense for the bench unit absolutely um, there, I saw a stat last night that in the last 12 games, uh, the starting five or the, the front four of Jalen, uh, Jason, Kemba, and Marcus Smart have played more minutes in these last 12 games than the first 52. So uh, more minutes together. I think the, you're spot on saying that the rotations are figuring themselves out, and that has to be a credit to Brad. Um and that it's only going to affect the defensive rating uh, positively from here. Um, one thing I did, I had a thought about your uh, uh, the just one last thought on the speculation around Brad. I think a big fallout from the bubble last year was we got an inside look into NBA team chemistry. I think we because everybody was in the hotels together. We saw dudes playing video games with with each other. We saw videos of people at the pool together playing volleyball, doing this sort of thing. And I think a, a small bit of that is like the media now is wondering why aren't we seeing this camaraderie now? Why are why aren't we seeing the uh, why aren't we seeing the interactions on the basis that we we saw? in last our last uh last summer and i think that it's adversely affecting the uh the perception of team chemistry and camaraderie uh throughout the nba and especially on the celtics yeah i know i know taco was big taco everybody wanted to hang out with taco (laughs) so he was he was broadcasting that pretty well jalen brown had a saga with uh donovan mitchell and uh it was just, it was really cool to see that that summer and seeing less of it now, I think is having uh, a perception issue. 
Yeah, and what year was it that uh, the the beginning of the year they all went? It was like, wasn't it the year after Kyrie left? Where like right on the eve of the opening game, they all went out for like drinks and stuff and had yeah. A big movies, they, went to, yeah. they went to a movie and got high as hell, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that doesn't <laughs> that was, happen yeah, that was, in sports. That was last yeah. season. Going to last season, so it was pretty much the entire so, yeah. the entire roster except like Hayward was there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. See, that's I think that I mean we've all been on teams, you guys more than me because you've played in college. But you know when they, when that exists in a team, then then everything else takes care of itself. Yeah. The the winning on the court or on the field will take care of itself uh, if you if everyone can get along uh, yeah. elsewhere. And I think I think Brad is the right guy to fold to uh, forge those. Absolutely. I, I think he's, he's young enough and he's been around young people for the last, what, how long was he at Butler? Do you know, Matt? Five or I don't six? know. He spent a long, I'm pretty sure he's been at Butler since like he graduated college. Like he yeah. worked as a volunteer assistant and then moved his way up to assistant and then head coach. So he was there for, he was there for a long time, probably like a decade. Okay. Well, like just not, not as a head coach, but just like, no, yeah, but in, as a, as a coach in the, in the program. So. So he's been he's been around kids between uh, eighteen and twenty five for the past twenty years. I don't think that that is going to like. I don't think that's a bad thing at all. I think he's that's only that can only be good for the future uh, future rotations and generations of Celtics. Um. So let's switch gears a little bit, talking about um futures moving forward. Uh, Julian Edelman retired this week. Um. The big Twitter buzz, even on the day of his retirement, no real congratulations. People were wondering if he was going to be a Hall of Famer or not. Will, uh, more more up your alley, Will. Um, uh, give me some give me some thoughts on the whole Twitter reaction. Sure. So, if you listen to my show last week, um, plug humble plug. I'll mention it again for you all, for you guys, and for your listeners. And Emery, you touched on it. What drives me nuts about athletes who retire is in the in, in the immediate aftermath the first question is always about and i know we're talking about it so we're adding to that but like yeah. <laughs> question is always it but like the day of it's been six days now so it's okay but like the day of he hadn't like the ink wasn't even dry yet on his retirement paper and we we're already debating about whether he was a Hall of Famer. Now, yeah. I, don't I saw with Lamarcus Aldridge too. That was like yeah, the same exactly. debate happening. He retired on Thursday, right? Yeah. He retired on Thursday. Like, immediately after, like, yeah. look, Lamarcus Aldridge Hall of Fame was like trending. Or it was like, that's all I and, could hear. All I could see. And in my opinion, it's okay for you to say, yeah, I, you know what? He retired. I think he's a Hall of Famer the day of. But for you to, the day he retired, say, oh, I don't think he's a Hall of Famer. It's like, well, can do. So I think if you want to talk about it in a positive light, that's all right. Um, but if you, but then if your immediate thought is, oh well, he retired, he's not a Hall of Famer. Yeah, so, because the positivity you should be reflecting back on a great career on a guy who gave his heart, his soul, and both his ACLs to the New England Patriots. Like, yeah, yeah, I, it's so unfair to immediately react to an, an incredibly tough decision, a life-altering decision with with pessimism and with just negativity you know and and the 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 well i'm stuttering here because there's just so many there's so many uh angles of this but mm-hmm. the first reaction of some people was oh well his numbers weren't that great 
And I know I said it on my show the day after, so I'm not going to say that I've never said that. But like his, his numbers weren't hall of fame numbers. If you talk about other receivers, that's, that's not what we're, but that's not why people talk about him with a hall of fame. No. uh, You know, with a hall of fame discussion around it. They talk about him in that way because of what you said, which is, he puts his heart, his body, his soul, his everything on the line for his team. And he ended up winning as a result of that. Yeah. And his postseason numbers were fantastic. I mean, there's not, but of course, there's always a debate about certain position groups in all sports get a, have a different standard of the Hall of Fame versus position groups in their, in their, yeah, there's been, there's been like five wide receivers in the past, like what, 20 years that have made it. Yeah, and all and all their numbers do just like absolutely dwarf his. So it is very it does it does make it a tough look. Yeah, especially as we're like comparing regular season numbers, like he's getting blown out of the water by most of those guys, like all those guys. Didn't it take Didn't it take a couple years for Randy Moss to get elected? Like I, they, no, no, he must have been first ballot, dude. That's like that'd be heresy if he didn't. Really? Okay, I, he's I, he's the greatest receiver of all time. There's no way. And he was one where it's like you can't even argue anything about him. Like, okay, I must be thinking like Terrell Owens isn't in, right? Uh, no, Chad Ochos, yeah, uh, To isn't uh, in. Chad Ochosinko's not in. Johnson is the most recent guy to get in, who played the most recently. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was he only played nine seasons. Yeah, he, yeah, he, but his nine were very his like, nine he had were nice. Yeah, numbers were insane. But think about it: if Julian Edelman played, think about if he had played if he hadn't got injured and if he had played full seasons, like people talk about Gronk, like Gronk is a first ballot Hall of Famer as a tight end because he plays in a different position group. And yeah. his numbers compared to other tight ends are... I think his numbers compared to anyone, like I think they're pretty outstanding compared to like Edelman. Like yeah. The toughest look is someone brought up the fact to me, did you know Wes Wilker had more receiving yards and receptions than yeah. Edelman did? And Edelman like, played 11 years for the Patriots and Wilker played six. Yeah. Well, That's and a, it really because four, there were four those four years where they overlapped. And, yeah, and he was like a special teamer for a couple of those years correct. too. Which... And then the other hard thing is if so, Gronk, we're ready to put Gronk in Canton, you know, which for good reason. Mm-hmm. But the Patriots never won a Super Bowl when Julian Edelman wasn't on the field. And when, when like, if of the three recent ones, yeah, Julian Edelman was on the field for all three. Gronk was only on the field for, I think, two out of the three. So, like the year that they didn't have Gronk, they won the Super Bowls. The year that they, the years where they didn't have Edelman, they didn't. So, yeah. I mean, I know you're, cro- the, but again, it's so hard because he's a tight end. So you use the tight end comparison. But even if you compare Edelman to his contemporaries, like. Julio Jones will probably get in just because his numbers are insane. Yeah. Um, you know, some of his other people that played at the same time as him, uh, like, I don't know. Uh, Julio I think Jones is the first one. I think Julio Jones currently is the only receiver that is the highest career yards per game of all time. too. currently. Yeah. yeah. I think, I think he's got the only like legit shot out of guys right now. There are, it's- there are guys you can make conversation for. Um, I think Fitzgerald's. Oh, yeah, fair, fair, fair enough. I yeah. mean, he's like barely, he's been like, he catches like 30 balls a season now, but. 
Right. But I mean, <laughs> but he's, still, he's, he's active. Had an yeah. Awesome career. But I mean, like there are guys like Devonte Adams, if he sticks in green Bay and however long Aaron Rodgers plays there, he'll be in the conversation well, at some what, point. What about um, Steve Smith? Say that again. Steve Smith senior. Love Steve Smith. Probably. I don't think he's, I think it's like, too, you know, he's had too many, right? Like he hasn't, He's already been on the ballot for a couple of years, hasn't he? Really? I, I can't remember when he retired. I, I think he retired in 2012 or 2013. Oh, yeah, really? so he would have been on the ballot. Yeah, I think so. Oh. I don't know. Eh, maybe like 15, he would have been maybe more ish later than that. So he might be like, this might be his first year, but I don't think he's getting in. Who? Steve Smith? I think he's a very, yeah, I think he's a very debatable guy. Like, I just don't think, I think he's one that he should, but I think just the way the, like you guys said, like the way wide receivers are vote, like compared or the way the bias against them, it seems like he's not going to. But also with football, though, it's so tough to really put value winning with a position outside of quarterback. Like in basketball, like winning does matter for the guys that are the, the, the elite of the elite, the Hall of Famers, because you can have such an impact on the basketball court. Baseball is just thrown out the window. Like no one cares if Mike Trout never wins a playoff game. Like he's still probably me one of the greatest yeah. of all time. But football is so hard to compare. It's like you're not going to hold it against guys. Like you're not going to hold it against Adrian Peterson because he never made it to a Super Bowl. No. But then you're putting it in favor of It's like, yes, he did contribute to winning. But how much was the Brady and Belichick? How much was having Gronk the opposite, opposite, uh, on the opposite side of him? Like how much did the other players impact the winning as opposed to Edelman who doesn't have the numbers or the uh, – I mean, he doesn't even have a Pro Bowl selection. I mean, that makes it really tough. Mm-hmm. Agree. His his, Agreed. his less less Pro Bowls and less or less All Pro teams than Gunner uh, Oshlovsky yeah. or whatever he says. Yeah. yeah. So that, that's a tough uh, look. That's unfair. <laughs> when you're when you're putting when you're putting your making a Hall of Fame case. Yeah. I agree. Well, I agree. And that's that's pretty much what I said on my show on Thursday. But I wanted to get your take on it too because, I mean, you guys have a basketball podcast, but I know you know you know all sports. So, yeah, it's uh, Edel- Edelman is like. He's just a weird – it's a weird case. Mm-hmm. Um, it's know, like the, it's the Bob Horry in basketball. It's like, do you vote – I mean, it's not to that extent where, like, Horry has seven championships and he's just a role player on all seven of those teams. Like, I don't know if you even start on any of them. But it's like, do you vote a guy in just to the hap- – is it just kind of lucky happen on those very successful teams or did he have a major role in playing those successful teams? Right. Yeah, and, or how, and how much role did he play? And, and quarterbacks, like you said, they can get in football. They can get in based on just winning a Super Bowl or two. I mean, Eli Manning's probably going to get in just because he's won two Super Bowls. Ben yeah. Roethlisberger, fringe guy too. Yeah. I think Roethlisberger's probably in. But like, like I said, like it, it, just, yeah. winning a, just winning a couple times, like you win two Super Bowls as quarterback, it's almost like one. Yeah, like there's some guys that win one, like kind of fluky. But if you win two, like I would like to know how many quarterbacks have won multiple Super Bowls as a starter and haven't made it to the uh, Hall of Fame. Okay. I guess it would be zero, but there probably is like one guy that, yeah, I'm trying to think. Yeah, I can't think of any off the top. It's just, it's just, it's a little biased. The voting, like, it's very yeah. quarterback friendly. They wide receivers seem to get short in the stick. So, yeah, totally. Okay. Just to wrap that up, the last sort of comparison that was made on Twitter was between him and Heinz Ward. And Heinz Ward has been on the ballot for how long? He when did he? Uh, he's been on it for two or three years at least, and. There's really no end in sight for Heinz Ward, I think. I think he played at a – he played in what? Uh, he played three Super Bowls? Two Super Bowls? He, they, he won two. Yeah, uh, 
Yeah, yeah he won two. He's in the Seattle, first one. He's Seattle, first Green one, right? Bay, and Arizona. He was in all three, I believe. Okay, yeah. What well, year's the first the Seattle one? Oh five. Yeah, that's five. Okay, yeah, I guess I don't really remember that one. We were uh, like <laughs> we were like what nine? <laughs> yeah. uh, but uh, no, and the thing with Ward, like that's why they keep bringing it up because it's like okay, like you say he's like the 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 uh, the case you're making for him is the impact, the the things that don't show up in the stats. It's like okay, well Heinz Ward was a winner. Heinz Ward was one of the best blocking wide receivers of all time. Like Heinz Ward did the other things that these other guys aren't doing. He's still not it. So until Heinz Ward gets in, I really don't think there's really a case for Edelman to get in, which is tough. I understand the postseason stuff. I do think his number should probably be retired by the Patriots. I do think he should be in the Patriots Hall of Fame. Yeah, he should be in the Patriots Hall of Fame tomorrow. Yeah. Well, and another thing I think I think the Hall of Fame is too far of a stretch. Heinz Ward, Julian Edelman, they both won a Super Bowl MVP. Mm-hmm. They both. I mean, Matt, you were you're you're right. They both kind of did this stuff that wasn't really on the stat sheet. But at the same time, Heinz Ward did. I feel like Heinz Ward did it for longer too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he, he wasn't he wasn't the guy that was scrapping and grinding as a as a gunner and a punt returner for a couple of years. Like he was he was a pretty featured receiver from even early on in his career, and he had he has better numbers across the board at least in the regular season yeah. as opposed to uh, Edelman. And he's got no hair, which is just a cool look. Like yeah, you, very cool look. Yeah, I was trying to think for some reason. When I thought of it, the first thought that came to my mind was Troy Polamalu. I was like, wait, that's not right. <laughs> I had to like think. I was like, okay, Hans Ward, I got the, I got the visual. Um, before we talk a little Bruins, let's get the socks in here. They've been going, playing really well. Rained out, yes, or snowed out yesterday, actually. Um, but um. Great run from the Sox. Verdugo's coming into his own huge hit two days ago. Um, JD is cooling off over 10 recently, but still leading the league in extra base hits, top five in RBI, OPS, on, on base percentage, average, stuff like that. Monster year out of him coming. Uh, the biggest thing, uh, the biggest surprise for me is how well the starters have done. Um even Garrett Richards. Garrett Richards got a bunch of crap for his opening day or for his opening weekend start. And since then, I think he's given up one earned run in two starts. Like he got crap last week for his start, but he gave up zero earned over five innings. Yeah. He pitches out of damage a lot too. Yeah. He's like quintessential. We need a ground ball, double play, like throw a swan. Mm-hmm. And he does it. Yeah. So yeah, I agree. Em. They've, they've had, They've had sort of a weird, like, first two weeks where it was like, at first it looked like it was going to be ugly. And then they looked like world beaters. And now I think what we've seen last two or three days, especially the end of the twin series and then the start of, or and then probably the start of this one, is more like what you're going to get from the Red Sox, which is going to be they're going to hit their way out of games and they're going to get – um, some breaks here and there defensively, uh, some weird quirks yeah. uh, to help. Or they're going to, you know, like uh, they're going to have some, a lot of defensive runs saved. It's going to yeah. help them win games. So they're going to win in weird ways. And I don't think they're going to win the way, the way they were beating Tampa and Baltimore where they just route, um, you know, they route and then they hold the opposing team to one or two runs. I think what will happen is they'll end up winning these like, four to two, five to 
three, seven to six games yeah. and hope that Matt Barnes can continue to just – I don't know where this Matt Barnes has been, no. um, but he has no. shown that he can he can really hold that role. And well, so he was nailed. He was nails in eighteen, right? Didn't he? What didn't he like lead the bullpen in like ERA in eighteen? Yeah. He just didn't have. He just didn't have a huge role. Yeah, he's um he's always kind of been like they they for a while it seemed like they were afraid to make him a closer. Uh, obviously, Craig Kimbrell was there for a while, so he didn't need to be a closer. Yeah, but it also feels like they didn't even ever want to really call him a setup man either. He they, you know, so they never really gave him a role. So yeah. it, it always seemed like he was always excuse me, on the back burner. But now I, I really like what I've seen out of Matt Barnes. And I really like what I've seen out of um, Ed- Eduardo Rodriguez the other day. Yeah. I, I was a little bit like he hasn't pitched in like 18 months. Like, what's this going to look like? And I mean, as long as he can stay healthy, I think they'll be okay with him. Um, and then I, I also, uh, I like Nick Pavetta. I think Nick Pavetta Sunday afternoon last week pitched her great game against Baltimore. So there's a lot to like there. Super. uh, Yeah. They've been very impressive, honestly. Uh, The bullpen has been a big part. I know they were over the first two weeks, they were the fourth best bullpen in the entire league. Uh, Matt Andreese pitching well. Uh, The kid from uh, Garrett Whitlock pitching insanely well. He hasn't given up a run yet. And he's pitched in games with going multiple innings. He's been an inning eater. Um, hacksaw, nasty stuff. I know he gave up a run the other day, but um, that was his only run all year. Um, but he's been incredibly impressive. And then we talked about it. Matt Barnes, nails. Darwin's on, too. He's been good Darwin's this year. On. Yeah, he had the bad, like, first, I don't know, was it first outing or first two outings, but he's been yeah. lights out since. We were talking about that uh, last week, Matt, You and I was like, or I might have been talking to Rick about it. I'm thinking you're talking, yeah, we talked about it. We talked about it because yeah. Darwin's on's my – I put a stake in Darwin's on some pitch. I was like, this dude's nasty. But he kind of got so rough start. So, but. I was so afraid every time Darwin's on comes chugging out of that bullpen – because he, he, I don't think he has any idea where the ball is going. And I, I said it to you, Matt. I said I would be absolutely petrified to be a bullpen catcher for Darwin's on. When that guy's just warming up, letting loose, holy cow. That's how I feel about Tanner Houck. Really? Tanner Houck is up there, and you're like, okay, I know this <laughs> is coming at me. I don't know, like, is it going to break? Is it going to, like – hit me in the shin like is his huh. slider gonna start over here and end up over here right. so i was like yeah i would, would, would i like tanner hauk i when he was in the minors i thought he was going to be trash i thought he was going to be a bust and then he ended up i, I don't know why he's in worcester other than to get experience um i think he's good enough to pitch every maybe not every fifth day but maybe every sixth day uh in the, at the big league so so will uh do you know Cody Collins? Um, the name sounds oh, okay. Yeah, okay. Well, he played for BC. He does some writing, too, for about – I can't remember where he writes for, but he, he's like a beat writer for the Sox on – I think, can't remember what the website is, but yeah. um, that's besides what – he was a big advocate of six-man rotation just because, one, he wants to see Hauk uh, come up. You have Erod, who's dealing with – coming back from COVID. We don't know how he's going to look. He hasn't pitched in over a year. And you have, like, Garrett Richards and Evaldi, who – 
definitely aren't the beacons of health by any means. So like maybe that, that extra rest would help them. So he was a big proponent of that. I thought that was interesting. And going back earlier, what you said with uh, Erod Veda, first with, uh, with Erod, it was, he definitely didn't have his best stuff, but it was a performance I was really happy to see because it looked like he mentally looked like a very polished pitcher. Like he was yeah, very he was smart. He was hitting his spots. He just didn't look like he had like the velo that was normal. I think most time he was sitting around 89, 90. Yeah. And like typically he's, clo- he's closer to the, to the mid 90s. It was good to see. And then Pavetta, like, I remember I heard uh, a bunch of people talking, or I heard some guys cover the socks. Like, it was a very high bloom move. It was one of those guys that was the type of pitcher that they'd often take chances on in Tampa Bay. And, like, he fit he fit that mold of, like, he had good stuff and just for some reason never clicked. So it's good to see that he's pitching well for us. Yeah, and I, I was – I've been always pessimistic about the Sox pitching in the offseason because I was like, just because I think I was scarred from last year and how brutal it was. Awful, yeah. Yeah, and it was like they were trotting out like Robbie Stock or Joey Stock or whatever his name is, um, you know, the whole time. And, you know, now it's like, okay, well, um, now we've got some big league arms. Hopefully Chris Sale can come back. And also – as it pertains to Pavetta and Rodriguez, I agree Rodriguez didn't have his best stuff. But like you said, it was just good to see him on the mound and in command and that he didn't immediately have to get pulled off. No. Um, now, as uh, as you said, they're not beacons of health, but I think that if and neither's Chris Sale and neither's any of these guys, really. So I think that that will be their biggest struggle. Um and one thing that I've noticed about starting pitching is in these seven inning double headers, it seems like Cora himself admitted that he was going to have to get creative in how he uh, went about, you know, managing the innings, managing the workload, uh, when to go to which guys in the bullpen. And I mean, I know you guys are both pitchers, so you understand this part, but like, you know, when, when you, and you guys play in college where they're switched between nine and seven games. Like there's, there just seems to be a lot of change going on with that and how, like how the manager's going to have to adjust their, uh, adjust their man, you know, managing of their pitching staffs and their managing of workloads. So I want to get both your thoughts on that. Especially the bullpen, like bullpen's tough. Cause like, say you want to get closed in the first game, it's really hard to come back with, you can't come back with the same guy in the second game. Like you're not going to pitch, Barnes because of the first game you have another close game you're not gonna come back with him in the second game so it is very interesting it is tough it seems like he's been very cautious of not letting his guy like not keeping a short leash but just pulling them pretty early into games but with the double headers it makes things more complicated because you don't want to have a your bullpen just completely taxed by like game three if you have a double header on the first day or something like that I do think though that the emergence of a good bullpen has been really helpful and uh, I think we'll see more uh, doubleheaders moving forward. I think uh, we're, we're still living in a COVID, in, uh, COVID-impacted season, so we'll see some changes. And uh, the fact that we have three or four guys that can end games, that can close games, um, will be beneficial. And I just think that – I also think that starters are going to get stretched out a little bit more once April winds down, uh, once we get into May – 
uh, will, they'll probably get jacked up and then slow down again more into July when the when the break uh, when the All Star break happens. Um, I bet that I bet that's the case, and then I bet it's gonna go in like two humps. Once we get to the All Star break, it's gonna slow down, and then one, and then after into August, it'll pick back up. Uh, starters lengthwise, um, and I think that is that's going to be helpful long term. But it's also a massive workload and a massive thought process that Cora has to get into, you know. Um, but like I said, I like the I like the bullpen. I like that we have guys that can get get outs. So I'm not far cry from last year. Far cry from last year. I'm I am actually I'm tuning in to games. I'm trying to watch all 162. I didn't last year because I would have well, played 60. So uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> if I watched all 60 games last year, I would probably be a Twins fan or something. Uh, yeah. Well, talking about the rules, like, how do you guys feel about the extra inning uh, man on second base rule? So I have a good idea for this. All right. So I think I'm okay with it, but I think that instead of the last out, I think you should be able to put the defense is allowed to pick any position player that's on the bench, an active player, and pick them to be the runner on second. It's like, say you're playing the Braves, you see Pablo Sandoval and his his, uh, crab rangoon gut trotting around in the dugout you can call him out and make him be the runner i think that'd be way more fun i think it'd be hilarious he's had all, all the fat guys trying to run the bases yeah and you can't pick on like pitchers or anything you know when those guys get injured but i do think it'd be very funny i feel like you could just call out any of the uh opposing bench players and call them out to be the, Look, the first time i agree that would be interesting the first time it happened <laughs> in the Sox game i was like wait michael chavis hit a double what happened like yeah. did he and then i was like oh yeah it's the 10th inning he just got in second and and I think what, and to your point, Matt, what makes it a little weird is then the home team, nothing is stopping the home team from immediately going and subbing that guy out because that's what they did. They would just burn a guy on the bench, really, because yeah. that's what they did with, um, I believe that's what they did with uh, the game last Saturday against uh, Baltimore is I think Martinez or it was either Martinez or Gonzalez ended the inning. It had to, I think it was Gonzalez because Martinez ended up coming to bat. And because Chavis is versatile, they put, they took Chavis off the bench and had him pinch run for Gonzalez. Now they burned Gonzalez off the bench, but they found a faster guy. So there is some gamesmanship that gets involved. And what I like about it is that it brings back small ball, like move the guy over, get the guy in. I know you. Okay, but you know, as someone who was a role player on a lot of baseball teams, I love that kind of. Shit. Can we swear on this? Yeah, oh, of course. Okay, all right. I love that kind of shit. Like I was like, great, bunt him over, get him in. Emery, we won our little league championship when we were twelve because we bunted three consecutive guys over to get. Do you remember? No, that's that? lame. Yeah. Um, it's way more cool to see dingers. I mean, I wasn't one. I didn't hit any dingers. I. Had, a lot of dingers hit off me, but I still, think it's, I still think it's way more fun to see a home run be hit than yeah. do the bunting, do the sack fly. Like that's just like, like, okay. I, that, that's, that goes to my point. I hate this rule. I hate it more than anything that I can't just start on first. Like even if they start on first, like I, no, think be, I wouldn't mind first. I hate it. Imagine, imagine you're a guy throwing a no hitter 
you get to extra innings. There's a runner on second base. They bunt him over, sack fly him in. You lose the game throwing a no hitter. Are you? I think there's a girl that threw a perfect game and lost in softball in college because of that. It was tied zero zero, and she's throwing like a perfect game. And the runner got second. They like bunted her over. They threw him out first, and then like they scored on a sack fly. Yeah, that, <laughs> like she didn't allow a base. That is that is some horseshit. Like imagine if it was a wild pitch too, or a pass yeah. ball. Like a pass if, ball brings him over. If you can, if you can, the, the the end all and be all for me is if you can score a run without getting a hit, then it's a it's a stupid fucking rule. <laughs> all right. Now, now, I hate the rule, not because of the lack of excitement, but more along the lines of its intent. So if it's intent... Absolutely. Second, it's intent yeah, second is not to add incite, excitement. Its intent is to shorten the game. Yeah. So you're, you're, not, you're not looking to have the best team win. You're looking to end the game as soon as possible. Yeah. It's, it's, it's bullshit. Fucking, I, I can't stand it. I don't know what would be better. Cause like baseball, it's hard. Like basketball. I mean, they talked about doing the Elam endings for overtime and like football. I know like football can end in a tie, but they have the system set up. I mean, I like the college system way better. I think it's way more fun. Even though those games can last a while too, doing it that way. They just, but there's no... the rule. they just changed the rule to end it. Right. Like you have to go for two after this, after the second touchdown now. They're trying college, their... It's always been. I think it's always been like that in college. Football. No, it was after. No, it's after the first one. Now I apologize. Okay, yeah, I think it used to be after the second. Yeah, they're speeding it up. Um, but like I like that because that doesn't really like change the game a whole lot. Like, you're still playing football. Like, it's hard not to just change, like the way you play baseball. Like that's why I think even first would be better. It's like it's like you add the extra runner. Maybe it does speed it up, but it doesn't completely like throw off like the game. Like it's just it just sucks for like a pitcher, especially if you're coming in relief. I know it doesn't have an earned run, but it just like sucks when you have, have to work with a guy in second right off the bat. A guy in first and a guy in second is a big big difference in just your mentality of how you're pitching. Definitely, and and it's what can happen. I mean, if you as a pitcher, I was just about to say this, but thanks for bringing it up again. Is if you're a pitcher and it's a guy on first and there's no outs and you come in in relief, it's like okay, well, I just need to induce a ground ball out, and then it's two outs, then I'm out of the end potentially. Whereas if you have a guy in second, it's like suddenly as a pitcher, I mean, you guys could say this more than I could. It's like, okay, well, now I got to be careful because if I accidentally walk a guy, now there's two guys on. Or if you, I, you, you roll that ground ball that if the guy was on first field play, you could roll a ground ball and that guy could advance to third. Like you yeah. get the ball on the right side of the infield. Like it just, it, it does. Or, I just wouldn't like it. throw a pitch in the dirt and get a guy swinging and he misses, but then your catcher has a pass ball or something. Yeah. Then it's like, well, now he's on third. So and there's a guy on first, even sometimes yeah. the thing, the thing for me is if there's a guy on first, you're always one pitch away from getting out of the inning. If there's a guy on first, like you roll a double play and you're, you're out, then you're ready to go. But if you like, exactly like you said, if you roll a ground ball, a double play ball with a guy on second base, there's a massive chance that you get one out with a guy on third. It's the same as a sacrifice. And from an offensive perspective too, like in some ways it might, it might like hurt the, the psyche of a hitter because if the hitter, like if someone like JD goes up to bat, right. And he's got a guy on second and, and if, if for some reason his manager was like, yeah, you know what we need to do? We need to hit it the other way. I mean, I know JD can hit it the other way, but some guys. If Cora said that, I think we like, I'd expect that of like Bobby Valentine. Like yeah, like, like oh well, you know what? We need to hit it the other way. Like, it's like you know what? You're really good at hitting. Why don't you just move the runner over? Yeah, 
So like you're one of the best hitters in baseball, but let's not use that skill. Yeah, exactly. But I feel like some stupid managers are going to do that someday, like in the playoffs. I know they're not going to do this now in the playoffs, but give them time and they will. Yeah. And it's like, next thing you know, it's a, a, a manager's overmanaging it from an offensive perspective and asking a hitter who has one strength to do something that isn't his strength just for the sake of getting the runner over. So I know I say I like small ball, but I don't like it to the extent of I mean, it's, it's built for guys like me who are meant to hit nine. It's not built for guys who are meant to hit in the top of the order. I mean, as a hitter, I think saw, like saw, it. it's like a good chance for free RBI, but. Yeah, I mean, we saw overmanaging in the, in the World Series last year with Kevin Cash. Like, he blew his shot to win a World Series. Because he played by the numbers. He's, he is the guy to do it, Absolutely. Um, and I think I think he'll never get back to a World Series. And I think that I think out in um, in San Diego, Blake Snell's going to have a uh, Cy Young type season. He's going to shove it down his throat. And I think Kevin Cash is uh, cursed forever. I don't think that, but I do think it'd be funny if he like closes out a, a World Series game, like a Game <laughs> Six or Game Seven, just like going like eight innings. Yeah. I think that'd be I think that'd be the perfect way to end it. But yeah, um, there's one more thing I was gonna say about that as a pitcher's perspective, but I can't really think of it right now. But oh, while we're on the topic of changing rules, uh, I just think the drop third strike should be outlawed too. That's just an opinion I've had for a long time. Like nothing is more annoying as a pitcher as a dro- than a drop third strike, and the guy being able to 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 get on first base. On. <laughs> I just like the fact that I can get four strikeouts in an inning. I mean, you did that. Like, I don't usually – I don't have big strikeout innings like that. So, yeah. I never enjoyed it because usually – be... So, so it doesn't count as an earned run for the pitcher, okay? But it counts as a run for the um, for the guy on second. He gets a free run out of that. Yeah. Um, right? It's a run scored for him. Yeah. It right. counts as an RBI for the hitter. Yeah. Yeah. Now, so, it, it just – it's going to – it just that's so convoluted because like yeah it, it's a run you know we're rewarding the well, it's basically like if the guy like reached on error and like yeah. at the second on error or something like that yeah so like the pitcher could take the take the loss and still have a zero era yeah which, oh yeah yeah, yeah. I, I, and that that's that's fine but like yeah i i agree with you emory though about the whole like your initial point about a pitcher even if it's a reliever who's coming in, like remember Nathan Valdi in the extrinnings of the World Series, he yeah. comes in in relief and he just starts mowing people down and he's in a groove. And then suddenly imagine if that game turned to like a, you know, it wasn't as maximum, all Max Muncy had to do was, you know, hit a ground ball the other way to get the guy over to win the yeah. game rather than. Just way less cool overall, I think. Yeah. Okay. You guys have sort of talked. I'm not in favor of it, but I, I like hearing the pitcher's side of it. Cause when I talked about it on my show the other day, I was really giving like the hitter's perspective. Yeah. I, I just like as a pitcher. It sucks. It really does suck. It, it's some of the worst things when I, whenever, especially being a pitcher, whenever I like get put in a, in a, a situation of disadvantage, I hated it. Like, if if even if someone was like, oh, we're gonna walk this guy to get a double play ball or something, I'm like, come on, let me get him out. I I'm I, I guess it's my own narcissism and my own self self infatuation, but uh, I like to just get the guys out based on. My I just well, I just know if I had to like, to. Say if I had to rate my pressure. Oh, sorry. 
My bad. I was just going to say, that's something Ke- uh, Kevin Cash would do. He would say, you know what, there's a runner on second, but it's okay. We're going to put a guy on first yeah. so that um, to, to get around this hitter so that you can then pitch to the next hitter. And then that's like overmanaging the game. Now you've got two guys on base and no outs. Right. That's something that someone's going to do eventually. And you put – it's happened a lot. Like, it's happened, like, when – when the away team goes up and scores that run, a lot of the times it's an automatic intentional walk to get the double play ball. That's weird. Sorry, Matt. I didn't mean to cut you off. What were you going to say? No, you're good. I was just saying, like, my like, I just I felt comfortable. Like, my comfort level with the man on first was pretty high. When that man gets to second, like, it changes. Like, first I like because I can look right at the guy being left-handed. I know where he is. Like, he has that threat to steal a base, but, you know, I usually would slide step anyways. But once that guy gets on second, I know, like, a basic can score him. And I, like, can't see him as well. I don't have, like, the visual. Like, it's just way – it's – I just was way more comfortable with man first. Like, just putting a man on second just is very – would be very frustrating for me. It also, it also still slows the game down because even with a guy on second, you have to change your signs as a pitcher. The pitcher comes out and talks to the catcher every – I don't know, every five to 10 pitches and they change the signs. They look at the cards. The guy steps off to read the card for a guy coming up and it, it, it still slows the game down. And, it, and at its minimum, at its like very smallest meaning, it's meant to just finish the game. It's not meant to have the best team win. And the intent is poor because Emery, you're, you're so right. It's like, it slows the game down in that way. And then, like, let's say because it's so even, it's equally as probable for in the 10th inning, the away team to score, then the bottom of the 10th inning, the home team to tie it again because they're playing under the same circumstance. Yeah, and, and they have the same approach. Whereas, right. honestly, the time it takes, it's no it, – not that this happens in every action in game, but if, a, if the guy who leads off the top of the 10th hits a double, that's on his first pitch – you essentially yeah. didn't lose any time. And right. the game is being played with more integrity that way. Yeah. And integrity is a good word for it because I I don't think that Manfred has the integrity of baseball in mind. Um, and I know that might make me – that might be a boomer take, but, like, I still feel like baseball is one of the most pure sports in the game. And that's why we had such a huge steroid issue. Um, yeah. I think, I think the – they're – and baseball purists are getting a lot of crap these days because they're also people that don't like the flamboyancy of some of the young guys. They don't like the fact that pitchers can just come in and throw 90 miles an hour. Like there is an actual quote from Rob Manfred being like, uh, for, for the reasons that uh, like the reason why they added the three batter minimum rule, they're like, well, these guys at the back end of the bullpen are, coming in and throwing too hard and they're taking away an entire aspect of the game. Like that's their job, Rob, figure it out, dude. Like that's their entire thing. You put these guys in the game to win because they shut everything down. Oh yeah. There's totally room to, for both of those sides. And I, I mean, I, you guys can go back. I'll do another humble plug. Uh, I recorded a podcast back in July of 2020 called let's save baseball together. And the whole point of, of that episode was there are two schools of thought, but they're not mutually exclusive. Like yeah. you can have like what you called the boomer take, but also still enjoy the quote unquote, more exciting parts of baseball. Like they're not side by side, like the integrity of the game is intact. I mean, 
and don't worry about offending me with your Rob Manfred take. Like I, this is my podcast is a, we are three things. We are a pro Jeremy Swayman podcast. We are anti Rob Manfred podcast. And we are a um, pro, uh, we are a pro Brady anti-Belichick podcast. So anti-Belichick. Wow. In terms of the breakup, not anti-Belichick. Okay. Okay. But in terms of who, who's. You took Brady's side. Yeah, who's, yeah, who's in the room? I can I can get behind that take. I was so, like, wow, that's a. That was a I know I know you guys are a pro Robert Williams podcast. Anti Kelly Yep, I listened the other day, so I know I know that. Um, and so don't worry, this is a this is an anti Rob Manfred and anti Let's Change Baseball podcast. All right, that's good. Um, do you want to switch over? I know you brought up Swayman. You want to talk about the beast? Yeah, just real quickly, I think because we're all Mainers. Um, I mean, I know I don't know where you live now, Emery, but I know Matt and I still live in Maine. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm living in in Massachusetts, but so. Okay, you know what? That, that's fine. It works. Yeah. Are you on the North Shore or the South Shore? North Shore, Beverly, Mass. Okay, that's a that's a nice place. So that's close yeah. enough. Where we'll we'll still you haven't completely left and become one of them yet. So right, that's right, right. Um. So yeah, I mean, being Mainers, I mean, it was, it was hard not to follow him from just him going to humane and at least peripherally yeah yeah and playing for red gender and rest in peace um and uh you know that i firmly believe that if he had played um if they had been able to go to the uh, hockey's tournament last year that they would have made a run at the uh at the ncaa tournament i agree with you so it's it's hard it was hard not to follow him from that regard and then just watching him play in uh the past five games that he's played with the bruins excuse me, in the NHL, it's hard not to lobby for him to become the franchise goaltender at one point. You know, for so long, Tuka Rask has been, he's been a great carrying that mantle. Um, I think he gets a lot of unnecessary flack from Bruins fans. I think, you know, he led you to two cups. Yes, you didn't win either one, but we all know that. But um, I mean, and obviously there's a, there's always going to be that Timmy versus Tuka. Yeah, uh, sometimes you have to be a Tim Thomas and sometimes you're a Tuka Rask in the playoffs. And I understand that debate. But when it comes to what the future is for the Bruins and that, I mean, how can you not like this kid? Like yeah, he's, he's electric, electric stuff. Yeah, he is wired to be a goaltender and he is yeah. wired to play for, for the Bruins in this city. Yeah. Um, and I think I think the fan base got sort of soured on Tuka last year. I know my mom hated him for opting out. Um, but my mom, my mom is a boomer. If we want to talk about boomers, she's got some boomer takes, man. But um, she's Gen X. She's Gen yeah. X. My parents are real boomers. Yeah. Boomers. <laughs> yeah, I think I think it's George George rubbing off on Molly. Um, uh, no, Swayman has been great. He's made it like obviously he's made a few mistakes. Like uh, the other night against Buffalo, he let off let up that clapper to start the game, but then settled right down they won in the shootout for a shootout win um he looked he like I mean they scored what in the eight like with 18 minutes or two minutes into the game that uh it was uh Kevin Miller wasn't it not Kevin Miller in the uh, shootout no not the shoot the first goal in that Buffalo game the one that like was right off the tip right for right in the first period oh I think that was um that was uh 
Open now. Pasternak scored the one quickly last night. I cannot remember. They, it, it was some. It was a former. It was a former Bruin that scored super early against. Oh, us. Anders Bjork scored against on Swayman in that game, right? I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Neither here nor there. But he he had a he had a, a rookie moment early in the game and then clamped it up. Then played super well. Um, which which unfortunately is what this Bruins team needs. They need a. 2.00 goals against goalie. They need a goalie that is only giving up two goals a game because at times this offense has looked pretty slow. Yeah, and, and now I understand what you were saying. I thought you were asking who scored for Boston. But yeah, Andres yeah. scored. He was a, he just got traded the day before. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, Swayman, he's going to have those rookie moments. I mean, the, the loss that they had when he was in net to the Flyers, he had a few of those. But I mean, by and large, there was a game last week against the Capitals where they won that game because of what you just said. He held that he held a high octane offense to two goals Mm -hmm. while the Bruins, they had just, they had, it was one of those nights where the Bergeron line really stepped up and that has to happen in order for them to win games against good teams, unfortunately. But with the addition of Hall, they do have more strength on the front end and on the first two lines. So that they don't have to rely so much on their decor and on their bottom two lines um, for some of, you know, for some of the defensive uh, ability and also for generating offense. And I think the whole, and and that for a young goalie, having that in front of you, having a more consistent, like having Charlie McAvoy play in front of you, having uh, Matt Grizzly play in front of you, instead of some of these guys that they were trotting out when those gentlemen were hurt. I mean, it's hard for them, just hard for a young goalie to have continuity and, I think the Bruins are in a good spot because they got Danny Vladar, uh, who's capable, and they, I mean, and they've got they still got Yaro Halak and Tukarask, who are veterans. So, yeah, them. I told told my listeners on my on my show on last Tuesday, there's gonna they're they're gonna have to make some decisions about that. Um, but if I had my druthers, as long as the long term plan is to have Swayman be the franchise goalie, yeah, uh, and if, as long as they carefully execute that plan and not do what the Red Sox did with Blake Swihart, not as a catcher, not do what the Philadelphia Flyers did with Carter Hart, um, which is sometimes when you have a really talented young player with a high ceiling, there's a tendency to rush them. Yeah. And then they never are really able to get their feet under them. But it seems like Swayman is just, hey, I'm a pro Jeremy Swimming podcast. Like, yeah, I mean, and it seems like you could say about him, I'll I'll co-sign it. I think I think he's the bee's knees in terms of no pun intended. In terms yeah, of yeah. You know, and I think I think he's sort of oblivious to all that noise, you know, like the fact that oh you can't rush him in, you can't do this. He's playing in the toughest division in hockey, uh except except for maybe the West. But um uh the big issue, the big thing that you brought up the Bruins needing to execute this game plan correctly. And it it couldn't have come at a more uh, tenacious time, you know, Uh, Halak and Tuka are both expiring this summer. Um, I, I read a take early in the year about what the plan was and they, it was pretty much hinging on what Swayman could do. If they were wondering if, if they would have to bring back both Tuka and Halak, if Swayman wasn't going to be ready. Um, but I think the fact that Swayman is up now 
has brought on the case where they might not have to re-sign both of those guys. And it just is, and it also, Tuca's what, 36 years old? 34? Tuca's in his early 30s. Halak is much older, not much older, but at least three or four years older. Okay, so, so Halak, yeah. Halak probably won't get re-upped if I had to, if I had to guess. Yeah. And um, although there's a, still a strong possibility that Rask walks away from hockey all Absolutely, day. yeah. That, because that, a lot of people think that he has more interests in his life outside of hockey, which is fine. Yeah. He's not beholden to one job his whole life, right. you know, but I think that's still a strong possibility. So the Bruins need to be really careful because Absolutely. what they really can't do is they can't, I don't think Jeremy Swayman is ready to be the one. I just, no. I think he's ready to be a two. Mm-hmm. And I think he'll eventually in, as I said, I think he'll win a Vezina in a couple of years. I think that's how good he is. Right. But I think that they need to manage that so that his workload stays the same because I mean, he's played a lot of hockey between development, between the AHL, between playing at Maine, playing for the team USA. Like he's played a lot of hockey and they need to be careful. They don't burn him out. Yeah. Um, and so what I, what I, what I'd forecast is probably that one of the veteran veterans leaves um, the other stays. And then yeah. one of the young guys leaves in the other stays. And I think that, yeah, I think Danny Vidar, as good as he's been, I think, they know that if they had to, the, I think the Bruins know that if they had to pick one of those guys, it's, it's probably going to be Jeremy Swimman at this point. Just the fact that Cass, Bruce Cassidy has picked Swayman to start these games rather yeah. than Vladar uh-huh. shows that they think that he's going to be the long-term player. Right. And like, like you said, I'm all for that. I just think the process needs to go smoothly. Um, I miss Claude Julian, dude. Really? Yeah, I liked him. I mean, Cassidy's been awesome, but Claude was Claude was the man. Um, I think he was awesome with the with like the development of Bergeron and Marshawn and ha- having Chara there and McAvoy and, and he he didn't he coached Pasternak right at the right at the end, right? Yeah, Pasternak's first season was fifteen sixteen, right? I believe or fourteen fifteen, and then um, Cassidy coached till sixteen seventeen. I think one of the – I'm sorry, uh, Julian. I think oh, one of the problems with uh, Julian is that his style of coaching got outdated and also um, Peter Shirelli put them in salary cap jail. Yeah. So they were under the Savard contract. I mean, that's not Mark Savard's fault. He had two career-ending concussions. Yeah. But I think they were under that contract. They got into trouble with um, some other – long-term purchases and then of course they had a tendency to deal away young players yeah they dealt phil kessel tyler sagan and dougie hamilton um so i think that cassie's done a better job with this sort of rebuilding on the fly um but i think it's because don sweeney has really given him the keys to do what he wants with the lines um, yeah and i think Cassidy is a more modern coach, but yeah, I like Claude. I mean, it's hard not to like Claude. He won you a cup. Right. I mean, so, and he brought you in another. So far, Cassidy's over one in cups. This yeah. is how, unfortunately, this is how we measure coaches. Yeah. But I mean, if you look at since Bruce Cassidy co- started coaching the bees about four years ago, there was a point where at, at that, at one of those levels, they had the best point percentage in the entire NHL since he had been, since he had been coached. 
yeah um, over an 82 game if you had like converted his his uh total games to an 82 game season based on that winning percentage they would have finished on average each season with about 110 points which is president top every year yeah that's the top of the league every year so yeah. they, they they're in a good place i just think that they need to be careful because they have this group of young players they have like the Pasternak, McAvoy, uh, Swayman. You can throw him in that group. Uh, then you've got Jack Stavnika. They've got like a lot of younger players that they believe in, but they mm-hmm. also have this aging core, and like they need to make sure that they can mold those two parts of the team together uh, to try and win as much as they can now without mortgaging the future. And that's why I was so happy with the trade deadlines because they didn't mortgage the future. They only gave up a third round pick for Taylor Hall and I think they gave up a second next season. So right. They're, they're in good shape. So they are. Uh do you wanna do you wanna wrap up this Bruins talk with a little bit on uh the Ottawa and the Buffalo trades? Sure, yeah. We talked briefly about it. Um but getting Curtis Lazar uh in addition to Taylor Hall from Buffalo was in a steal in my opinion. And then still getting um Mike Riley from Ottawa what what they missed is they missed that guy in the Tory crew. You know, if you think about it with a basketball uh, analogy, Tory Krug was like the point guard of the power play unit. Right. He was the one that distributed the ball. He was or the puck. He was the one that you know really set up the plays. And they missed that because Grizzlick is good, but I don't think that's his strength. And so no. getting a guy like Mike Riley, where that is his strength. Right. Has really benefited them in the two or three games he's played with them. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't, I watched a little bit of the game last night against the Islanders, but I watched the whole, the Sabres game because I wanted to see the new guys. Um, And Riley was very impressive. Riley played really well. I love the way he moved the puck. He's flying around. I mean, Taylor Hall, former MVP, uh, an incredible like asset to gain from just two picks. And uh, I, from what I've heard, he's willing to, re-up with Boston after this season. Uh, yeah, and, and even the player they gave up, even Anders Bjork, who they gave up in the, in that same trade, like he's going to go to Buffalo and he's going to get more ice time than he would in Boston, and it's yeah. fine. Like they had depth at that position. Um, and, I mean, and obviously, like you said, you get a former hot trophy winner. Mm-hmm. And this guy, he wants to play here. I think he wanted to play here back in 2010 when he went number one overall at Edmonton and Boston took him, took Sagan at two. Right. I think deep down he wanted to come to Boston. So I think, and I, and, and I think that all along he's been on these teams where they haven't really been good teams. Yeah. Like he's I mean, had yeah. to be the guy. But now he comes to a team that's has a core that's won a Stanley cup, been to Stanley cups, winner, Patrice Bergeron, Brad Marchand, David Pasternak, Rocket Richard Trophy winner. Like, he doesn't have to come here and be the guy. He can be a guy on a good team, which yeah. is what I think he needs to be to resurrect his career. Absolutely. And, uh, like, yeah, he's played on bad teams. That Edmonton team was awful. Then he went to New Jersey. And then last year he was in Arizona, which was bad. And then signed with Buffalo, hoping to – hoping you'd be a wagon like a, a dark horse with Jack Eichel and what Taylor Hall had two goals for Buffalo. Yeah. He had two goals for Buffalo and I think 35, yeah, 31. Like yeah. And then he comes to Boston and gets uh, two in his first three. So, right. 
That's it, what playing playing with David Krejci and playing with yeah. Yeah. yeah, and he he he's never not been on the first line until now, and yeah. he's able to come out and get in 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 very very good situations. He's able to match up that second line with Krejci on against lower lower teams, and I think even though I was high on Claude, I mean, that's, that's got to go to Bruce Cassidy, like his ability to work the lines and get, get great matchups for, for his second unit guys that are, could be playing on the first line on 15 other franchises. Totally. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. It's it. it, I'm super excited because the bees needed a shot in the arm. Uh, They started off super hot and then sort of crapped the bed, got a lot of injuries um, it's glad to see McAvoy back. It's I'm glad to see uh, see these guys coming in and see Swayman play well. Like I it, I got to see Swayman play once at UMaine, and he was lights out. Uh, I think they beat Northeastern like two to one or something in overtime. It was awesome. Sat right behind the net, saw Swayman two out of three periods. So cool to watch it. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. I'd love to get up. I'd love to get up there at Ornell. I mean, I know fans can't really go right now, but eventually see a game. I mean, I've lived in Southern Maine so much the past four years that it's hard to get up there. But uh, yeah, totally. I'm. I like. I like where the future is for all our te- all the teams we discussed. I mean, maybe not the Pats, but I think I think the future for the uh, the three that we hit the most on today, uh, you know, is uh, okay. certainly certainly brighter than one would have thought a few months yeah. ago and uh i really appreciate you guys having me on like this yeah, was it's awesome we're really glad fun. to have a glad to have a guest you're probably the best first guest that we could have gotten to one of the one of the uh most uh most in tune with the boston sports guys in 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 our group it's it's been a pleasure man yeah thanks and you likewise to you too i mean i needed some nba knowledge dropped i was lacking that and uh also I've been talking to my listeners for years, two years about getting guests on and you guys are only the second I've had. Uh-huh. And so, Well, we could, we'll have to make this a, a more often occurrence. Maybe we can talk a little bit more once the, uh, once the playoffs get rolling around. Sure. And uh, maybe next time I'll come into, I'll come into a little more Celtics background and we can talk a little bit more about that. I actually have Comcast New England now, so I can okay, actually. Great. <laughs> all right sweet all right just uh to wrap up guys uh will highland here the host of home field advantage please go check that out great spot to great great listen um and uh you can find his old writing online uh chatter and champions um and if you're in the southern Maine route one area check out Bates. go grab a sweatshirt even though <laughs> i don't i'm not a fan uh- Lost souls up.